Advent is celebrated in the darkest season of the year for a reason. And it's not because Jesus was born in December. In fact, he probably was not born in December. Why do we celebrate it in this time of year? Well, the people who started celebrating Christmas in the way that we know it today, they lived on the other side of the Atlantic at a latitude similar to ours, about as high as ours. And they noticed, like most people do, that the sun tends to get low in the sky in the winter and it tends to be dark. And in the valleys, it's dark sometimes all day. And even in the middle of the field, it's dark for most of the evening. These long nights, they wear at you, they make you sad, they can wear you down over time. And they wanted to remember that in the darkest and longest nights, well, hope had still come. Light had still come. The spirit of Advent, the spirit of Christmas, is waiting through those dark nights for the coming of the one who brings light. And in our case, the return of the one who brings light. We are getting ready for a weird Christmas, for a dark Christmas. And in that darkness comes all kinds of uncertainty, all, si all kinds of sorrow, all kinds of temptation toward doubt. Is, is God really there? Does God really see all this that's going on? Why are there so many things that are not how they should be? Well, the people of Israel in their darkest season had very similar questions. And the prophet Isaiah spoke to them in a way that I believe can speak to us as well, a way that can help us to prepare for a weird and dark Christmas. This could be one of the toughest Christmases that we go through, but for that reason, it could also be the sweetest and the one that leads us to appreciate the very most just what it means that Jesus came to shine in the darkness for us. These two messages from Isaiah 40, I had planned to preach to you in person in this very room. Uh, what I've done instead is condense them down to shorter messages, messages that are fitting for video, messages that are fitting for the couch or the chair that you're sitting on. Did you know that most people who watch a sermon online don't watch it all the way through? You're not the only one. You, you can spill the beans and tell everybody else that's the case too. That's the case for our church and most churches. And what I'm doing here is giving you a much shorter, more devotional message that can help you worship at home rather than the sermon that we wanted to have here to prepare for Christmas. If you got a Bible, open it to Isaiah 40. I'll give you a moment or two to go there. And we're gonna read verses one through 11 today. to prepare Israel for their darkest season. Isaiah says to them, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. 
The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry! And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is like grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of a field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely all people are like grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, O herald of good news, and lift your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God! Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. The words of the Lord. When things are especially difficult, we are especially tempted to think that God's not watching or that his promises aren't real, that we've got it all wrong, or maybe he doesn't mean that part of the Bible, or maybe I've got it all wrong, right? When things don't go according to plan, little things or medium things or big things, that makes you wonder if the gigantic things are not how you think they are, is what cast doubt on the whole thing. And like I said a minute ago, that, that's really how the people of Israel were feeling or were about to feel when these words were written. <clears throat> these words were written just before the period of exile for Israel, which probably rivals the period before the Exodus when they were slaves in Egypt as the darkest hour of Israel. This one I think was darker because it was because of their own unfaithfulness. They had brought it on their own heads because of the way they had treated the Lord and worshiped idols. If you're not familiar with this time, what had happened was the people had been living in the land that had been promised to them under a king, but the king became unfaithful, began to worship idols. The people began to worship idols. <clears throat> and after generations of this, the Lord said, I am booting you out of your land, the land I promised you. He says, what's going to happen is another nation is going to come in. It would be the nation of Babylon. They're going to come in, take you captive, and lead you out of this land. You will be forced to live in a foreign land. Isaiah had spent 39 chapters warning them, this day is coming. And now he takes a turn in chapter 40. The point now is to tell them, hey, it won't be forever. When you get there, you're gonna have doubts. You're gonna have questions. It's gonna be a difficult time. Write these words down, and when you get there, refer to them because you're going to need them in this dark season. And in this dark season, we look to them for comfort as well. These words have their fulfillment in three really dramatic events. First, after 70 years, the exile did end. The Persians came through, conquered Babylon, and a new king named Cyrus rose up. Cyrus had a kind heart toward the people of God, and he let them go back. 
These words, some of them are fulfilled on that day. But others of them are not fulfilled until Jesus arrives, until John the Baptist comes to prepare the way. And still others are not fulfilled until Jesus will return one day. Some of this is not fulfilled yet, and it will be fulfilled when he returns. These words especially look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. I'll give you a couple of passages that remind us of this. In John 12, the author quotes the book of Isaiah in some other places, and he says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. That's, that's Jesus. He saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. Isaiah says stuff like this because he sees the glory of Jesus that is coming. Also, we read in Luke 24, after Jesus has risen from the dead, he meets two disciples on the road to Emmaus and walks with them. And after they realize what's going on here, he opens the Old Testament with them and he reads, it says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, and then just going through the whole Old Testament, I suppose page by page, it says, he interpreted to them all the things in the scriptures concerning himself. This is really about Jesus, his first and his second coming, though pieces of it are fulfilled in that great day when Israel went home. First, in verses one through five, God prepares them for this dark day by saying, be comforted, I will come for you. Verses three through five are fulfilled by John the Baptist, the gospel writers tell us, who goes into the wilderness and says, prepare the way, Jesus is coming, right? Well, Isaiah says this here, this voice cries, and the imagery is just incredible. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, Make straight in the desert the highway for our God. Desert paths can't always be straight, but change the terrain of the desert and make it straight. Every valley shall be lifted up, right? When, when this God comes, he doesn't wanna to have to go down the valley and back up, so lift the valley up. And the mountains and hill made low, uneven ground, made level, rough places, made plain, right? So everything, even the terrain of the earth is being overturned to make a way for this great king. The reason is the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. When Isaiah speaks of hills being lowered and valleys being lifted up, He's talking on one hand of the determination that Jesus has to come for us. The old song used to say, there ain't no mountain high enough, there ain't no valley low enough, right, to keep me from getting to you. Well, I don't know that Jesus is gonna come back singing oldies songs, but that's the heart that he's got. Oh, there's a valley, I'll just raise it up. Oh, there's a mountain between, I'll just lower it down because there's nothing that's gonna keep me from coming for you. At the same time, it also talks about the length that we ought to go to to welcome this coming king. When an important person comes to town, when a king or a president or a vice president or somebody comes to town, we'll shut the whole place down for him, right? Well, that's the kind of length we ought to go to, right? Shut the whole place down or decorate the whole place like we do for Christmas. Put up the wreaths, put up the lights because the king is coming. Lower the mountains, raise up the valleys. 
This reminds me of one of the more thrilling things I've gotten to do since I moved up here, which was that I actually got to drive in the vice president's motorcade about a year ago. And if you're wondering if it was fantastic, it was fantastic. They closed down the interstates and this one car went in front of us and I was driving a van that had a bunch of staffers, closed the whole thing down and we just drove in a line with nothing in our way. Every red light, we just blew right through it. Every stop sign, we blew right through it. Nothing stopped us. We went 90, maybe even 95 on the interstate with sirens in front of us escorting it. The kid in me just loved it. And I was working under the direction of this uh, White House staffer named Ashley. Uh, she was coordinating the whole thing, giving us all of our instructions, giving us our credentials, all that stuff. And she happened to be riding in the staff van that I was driving. So we're driving along and we look across and we see that on the other side of the interstate, I think it was 70, on the other side of I-70, everything is just stopped, like as far as the eye can see, stopped cars. And one of the other staffers who wasn't really doing the work of coordinating this thing, he's doing something else, he looked out and he said, oh man, the traffic in this place, the traffic in India is, is terrible. Like, is that just normal rush hour traffic? And, and Ashley said to him, no, that's us. We did that. They shut the interstates down. I mean, they just clogged them with cars, stopped everybody, cleared out the side of the interstate that we were on just so one man could ride in his Cadillac to get quickly and safely to where he needed to go, right? If you've got to for a vice president, for a president, for a king, you'll shut the place down just to, just to make a clear path for him. Well, the prophet cries here, and eventually John the Baptist will cry here, when King Jesus comes, yeah, put the wreaths up. Yeah, lower the mountains, raise up the valleys. He's coming, and there's nothing that's going to stop him. So the thrust of that is on us is we need to prepare for him. That's why we have a season of Advent. We wait. We prepare for him. Next, we see a message that we must embrace if we are going to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. And as we read it, I think you'll see that this year has uniquely prepared us for the season of Advent. Let's look at verses six through eight next. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? This is the message that will prepare hearts to receive Jesus. What you cry is, the message you need is, all flesh is like grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. The message you must hear and embrace to prepare yourself to receive King Jesus is your own frailty like the grass of the field, like the grass this summer that withered under our cars as we left our engines running and it couldn't stand even just that couple of degrees in rise of temperature. Like that frail grass, you and I are like that. That's what we've got. That surprises me, does that surprise you? That is what we must embrace. 
if we were going to be ready for this king. Now, Paul writes that the scriptures, words like this, are able to make you wise for salvation. And one of the big messages of the Old Testament is that we are sinners, and as sinners, we are frail and broken. And you might feel that especially this year, don't you? If we flip over to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it's said there a different way. I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 3, verses 10 through 15. This embracing of human frailty, this is just what we need if we are going to be ready to receive Jesus in the darkness. The sage writes, I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. And also he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet not so that man can find out what God has done from the beginning or the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. And also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil for this is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that all people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Yet another way that this sage says, Eternity is written on your heart. You want to understand eternity, but you can't grasp it. You can't understand it. You seem to grasp, though, that you should live forever. It's not, it's not right that we die, and it's really not right that the grass of the field and the flowers of the field die either. And yet, without the light of the Word of God, we can't figure that mystery out. The mystery is on our heart. Eternity's on our heart, but we can't figure it out. Well, this is the same thing that Isaiah is saying here. Our frailty, the fact that we die, the fact that we think we ought to live forever, but we don't, we can't get that. It's striking to us. We have to be reminded that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. And so you must be ready to embrace your own frailty, to just look your own frailty in the eye and admit it, and look to God, whose word endures forever. That is the only way we can prepare to receive Jesus. So the thrust here is to prepare to receive Jesus by embracing your own frailty. If, if you're crying out in your heart right now, this is not right. People died this year that should not have died. Church buildings are closed and they should be open. Right? People are sick and they should be healthy. People are lonely and they should have friends. Like this isn't right here. What's going on? If your heart's crying out like that, okay, you're ready to put up your Christmas tree and you're ready to turn the lights on and see the hope that they put into your heart and say, oh, the darkness can't last forever. You're ready if your heart's crying out like that. So this year then has prepared our hearts for Advent more perhaps than any other year before it. 
If we didn't know before that our plans are nothing before God, <laughs> we know it now. If we didn't know before that our lives are like grass, we're vulnerable to a microscopic virus that you can't see with your eyes. If we didn't know that before, well, we know that now. If we didn't know that the world around us is fragile, that our country is fragile, that geopolitics are fragile, well, we know that now. You may be more ready than you have ever been to hear the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. If you feel that, well, in these long, dark nights, prepare yourself. Because there's no mountain so high, no valley so low, that Jesus isn't coming for you. So if you want to take this home, what you need to do is embrace the fragile feeling that this year has given you and then rejoice in two things. Rejoice first of the message of this Christmas season. Jesus took on our frail flesh to come and save us. Rejoice in that as you embrace your frailty this year. Then you'll be ready for Christmas Day. And then, as you embrace the fragile feeling that this year gives you, look for him to come again. When he comes, every eye will see him. You will know that he has arrived when he splits the sky open and a double-edged sword is coming out of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he strikes down the nations. You'll know this because you'll see it. That is the kind of glory he's coming with. When he does, pain will be no more. Death will be no more. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and we will finally have the good God-fearing government we have always waited for because the Lord himself will be our God. That's your hope in these dark times. And that church is what we must look to. Next week, we finish this chapter. We start in verse 12 and we go to the end and it will tell us the other way we prepare for Advent, which is by turning from our idols. I wanna close though, just by reading verses nine through 11, the message we place our hope in. These are the words that the song that we sing today, Go Tell It on the Mountain, are based on. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Our King is coming.